Good morning, church family. I like that enthusiasm, Don. It is so encouraging. Family coming up here, declaring family. To hold each other to a standard that is Christ. What an awesome and beautiful thing. Man, those kids are cute. We are going to continue in our series this morning. I'm Pastor Jake. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am stoked to be able to share from God's Word this morning. Uh, we're going to be jumping into Matthew chapter 5 as we continue our study in Kingdom Life, uh, where we've been looking at the, the Sermon on the Mount as we find it in Matthew chapter 5, where, where Jesus is laying out these uh, radical contrasts from the Old Testament law is then fulfilled in his followers and then delivers an important direction for his disciples and us today. So, we're just going to jump into God's Word. You guys ready? Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Turn there with me, chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. It's going to be our section for this morning. So let's look together at Jesus' next topic. He says this, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. These are five verses from Jesus' sermon, and it's some radical content. As we've been looking throughout, he's laying out some radical things. He lays out the Old Testament stuff. This is how you've heard it. This is what you've known. But here's what I say. And if it wasn't Jesus saying these things, then we could probably easily conclude that this stuff ain't right. Right? Some well-wisher who's out of touch with reality came up with this hullabaloo. But in reality, we do know. Because this is God's Word. That this is Jesus, the one delivering these things. The God-man who took on humanity fully and understands our condition wholly. He fully gets us. Every stage of our existence. Some of our very first words and thoughts as little humans. I have uh, two toddlers at home. Toby and Eli. I love them very much. We saw some, a toddler up here being dedicated this morning. And they're cute. They're adorable. They also remind us that we need a Savior, Right? Maybe you've heard these sayings a couple times. Uh, uh, That's mine. He took my toy. Or, I was there first. She took the swing that I was on. Or, he hit me first. But it was an accident. I didn't mean to. Yes, you did. Right? We hear these. These are familiar. No one has to teach kids to respond like this. It's all in all of us. Part of our nature. 
And instead of disappearing in adulthood, it often gets worse. Our nature is to protect and to defend what we believe to be our rights. And we'll defend those rights to the point of revenge, even if someone violates them. By nature, we prefer revenge. Maybe you've uh, been driving and you see the bumper sticker, uh, I don't get mad, I get even. We would love to pray for you. Mel would love to pray for you. As God's words continues to speak, the choice isn't easy for us. The world would tell us that in order to find peace in the midst of conflict, we must make it up ourselves to self-protect and ensure justice is served, right? You've heard it said, Jesus says, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Jesus here is directly stating what is recorded back in Exodus, in Leviticus, and in Deuteronomy. These words represented the oldest law in the world, the law of retaliation which is foundational to all justice. The whole civil, penal, and international system of law is based on the idea of reparation and equity that has its roots in the law of retaliation. Those are fancy words that are not my own. But this is the law of retaliation. It's for courts only. And it's for our understanding because it's not for personal disputes. That's where it gets messy because from nearly the inception of the law, people abused it for personal gain and reasons. Jesus saw this in real time in his day, in his talks with the religious Jews of his days, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So Jesus therefore instructs his disciples and those following him in this way. He says, you've heard it said... But I say, do not resist the one who is evil. So don't stand up against that person. Don't don't resist the one who's evil. Don't, Don't combat him. Don't defend yourself. How's this to be taken? What's Jesus talking about? I get defensive. Pretty, pretty quickly. And I might be the only one in the room, but I get defensive pretty quickly. And I'm quick to revenge. And you know what happens when someone wrongs me? Someone hurts me? I react. I just retaliate. Because I need to self-protect. I need to ensure that justice is served so that I feel better about it all. I'm the bringer of peace. I am the usher of justice. It is my right. Furthermore, maybe you can relate. Uh, Just last night, Pastor Matt and I were uh, driving into Salem on uh, Highway 22 where Ellendale starts to get into 22. So the one lane, right? Maybe you guys can relate. I was driving in this giant pickup truck with his high beams, it appears, on are just blaring right through my back window into my rearview mirror, and it, he is right on my tail. I'm not too pleased by this. 
And he's just kind of, you know, just waiting until that two lane turns and then he goes, right? And he speeds off into a, um, a speed that's probably not legal. The driver needs to know who he's messing with. Okay? I mean, they need to be immediately brought to justice. I pointed out, I saw some lights on the side of the road over there. I was like, oh, I hope that's a police officer. Instant justice. That's right. It's wrong. Jake, you're wrong. Justice will be served. However, it should not be by my hand. By my ego that says, retaliate, prove you're strong, prove you're superior to the other person. Why am I trying to prove something? Why is it that my insecurities shout the loudest? Yeah, sure, there's times that God is going to utilize me to bring justice, but nine times out of ten, left to the law enforcers, law enforcement are governing authorities, not Jake. Like what the commentator writes, he says, as disciples of Jesus, you and I, we should be so secure in our transformed kingdom identity that when we are wronged, we do not merely adhere to legal retribution, but we use every opportunity to serve others, both good and evil people, so that the reality of God's grace in our life woos them to the kingdom of heaven. What does Jesus mean when he says, do not resist the one who is evil? Personal self-sacrifice over personal retaliation. Personal self-sacrifice over personal retaliation. He uses four brief illustrations. He's a great preacher, obviously, so he's going to use illustrations to show you what he's talking about. And he uses four of them in his sermon to expand upon this radical idea. So explore with me as we uh, tackle each um, illustration, starting in verse 39. Do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. In his first illustration, Jesus tells his disciples that when someone insults you, don't become defensive. Lovingly absorb the insult. He isn't talking about a physical altercation here necessarily rather that of a backhanded slap or an insult, something that, that cuts deep and brings anger quickly. What did we learn from James this summer? That we should guard our tongues, be slow to speak, slow to anger. When your friend speaks critically of you to others, you speak ill of them in return. When your spouse puts their needs higher than your own, you place your needs even higher yet. But Jesus shows that there is a greater model in bearing an insult to overcome it with forgiveness for wrongs righted, not by your justice, but by His alone. But that's not fair. Another toddler saying, right? Jesus calls us to swallow our pride and give those rights up. 
we cling to those rights. Set aside the need to get even. Thinking of the other person first instead of ourselves, correcting our actions and our intent, it's then that we begin to turn them towards Christ and affect them. This first illustration that Jesus uses, um, he expresses how we as followers of Christ are, res- are to respond to wrongdoings. Now, it is important, I want to note here, that Jesus isn't teaching about passivism, okay? This sermon is not about being passive. Uh, There's a famous Russian novelist, Leo Tolstoy, and he wrote his thoughts in regard to the Sermon on the Mount. He was having a crisis and he went to some of Jesus' teachings. And he read this. And his conclusions were that no Christian should be involved in the army, the police force, or the courts of law. Some believe that. And Jesus is making, some believe that, some, some believe that Jesus is making a declaration of pacifism. But that's not the context of the sermon here. And it's important to note that. Because there's other passages in the Bible that you can explore where he addresses those things. But in the context of Christ's sermon here, he addresses personal retaliation and that our response is not to fight back, but to express love generously. Personal sacrifice over personal retaliation. His second illustration, do not resist the one who is evil. Verse 40, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Yeah, it's true. In Jesus' day, you could sue the shirt off of someone's back. Literally. What it's saying is don't stop there. Christmas is coming. Wrap up your tunic or your cloak as well and give him that as well. Put a nice bow on it. What? What Jesus is saying here to his disciples is that if an evil person is coming after you, give generously more in order that your persecutor might see him through your actions. Even those things which we regard as our rights by law, we must prepare to abandon. Who lives like that? (laughs) Who who lives like this? Tell you who. It's earlier in Jesus' sermon. Those who are poor in spirit. Those who are mourning over their sin. Those who are meek, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Those who are merciful, pure in heart, and peacemakers. What is this list of? Earlier in chapter 5, the Beatitudes. Who lives like this? Who lives sacrificially? These. So then Jesus goes on to his third illustration in verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. This isn't a cross-country term for those of you who uh, ran cross-country recently. Well done. Uh, But, It makes a whole lot of sense in Jesus' day, and it created a whole lot of emotions. In Jesus' cultural context, 
uh, it made a lot of sense. So think of it this way, like in our context. So if a, if a police officer in a television series okay, uh, comes up to your car while you're at a red light and asks to commandeer your vehicle, you let him. I don't say in reality because I've never actually witnessed this uh, or heard about it, but on television it happens. <laughs> but the idea is based historically in the Roman Empire... There was the practice of commandeering civilians. Jews throughout the Roman Empire knew full well of this practice and they hated it. It was inconvenient. Any soldier could come up and force you to carry his things from him, for him from point A to point B without question. And you just had to do it. A pretty clear example of this is found in chapter 27 of Matthew concerning the crucifixion of Jesus. It says this in verse 31 and 32, After they had mocked Jesus, they took off the robe and put His own clothes on Him. Then they led Him away to crucify Him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced Him to carry the cross. Simon was just observing the happenings along the road, and then he was forced to bear a great burden unto its resting place. Anyone who was singled out for their faith and came under this persecution because of their association with Christ, as Jesus is teaching, is called to be cheerful in that task. This is extreme. Something so inconvenient, such a huge bummer, Way out of your way, you have to do this, but now Jesus says, do it cheerfully? <sighs> Convicting for Jake. And I love how the commentator convicts. There are two ways to do any task. You can either mow the lawn with your hangdog expression, like you're mowing the Mojave Desert, or you can mow it and say, there are birds in the sky. There are clouds above and it's not raining. This is a great day. Or when you wash the dishes, you can water them with your tears of suffering over the dishes, right? Or you can hum a tune. Jesus calls for revolutionary response in a difficult situation. Cheerfulness. The kind that would cause a hardened soldier to say, what's with him? This person has something that I don't quite understand. Revolutionarily righteous people possessing revolutionary joy even when treated unfairly. Call everyone's hearts upward towards Christ. So go the extra mile towards personal sacrifice. And lastly, uh, in his last illustration in verse 42, it says, Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Jesus continues now as well in his cheerfulness theme into this last illustration. He calls us to give generously. He's saying give financially to all the freeloaders and the homeless people. 
not saying or commanding to give all of your money to everyone on the streets. But he is saying that the one begging you may not be poor or in need, but give to him anyway. It's radical. Pay someone who isn't deserving of it, who's not going to be paying you back. Luke in his Gospel says it this way, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. This is how we are to live. D.A. Carson says, Christ will not tolerate a mercenary, a tight-fisted, penny-pinching attitude, which is the financial counterpart to a legalistic understanding of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus is using this as an example for his disciples who are being persecuted. His advice is not a set of mechanical rules, but rather principles for meeting the personal wrongs that come to those who follow him. So surrender that intrinsic toddler thought, this is mine. I'll never share it. Christ's radical statement points to the radical reality that his disciples have no rights. We as followers are to surrender our rights. We do not have the right to retaliate and to wreck our vengeance. We do not have the right to our possessions. We do not have the right in our time and our money. He asks of us these radical things. Not with empty words, but with proof of a life lived in self-sacrifice. Christ did not fight back when the Jews ordered for his murder. He did not cling to his last earthly possessions when the guards gambled his coat away. Christ embraced the time that he had here on earth and gave all of himself and all of his resources for the kingdom. And that kingdom lives within you and I, his followers. It is only by His grace that we were saved, that we are saved daily, and that one day we will be saved by Jesus Christ, our living hope. In the present now, as we are called to be living these kingdom lives, from the Sermon on the Mount, from the words of Jesus, Charles Spurgeon said it best, we are to be as the anvil when the bad men are the hammers. Jesus demanded a countercultural, radical lifestyle in the opposite direction of revenge. Jesus renounced our tendency toward revenge and instead elevated forgiveness. Personal self-sacrifice over personal retaliation. Personal self-sacrifice over personal retaliation. So this week, church family, join me and let's make every effort, even the costly and sacrificial efforts, to resist the temptation to even the scores by returning evil for evil. For God saved us while we were his enemies. You didn't earn his favor. You couldn't. 
His grace covers all and is sufficient. I believe that Jesus conquered life and death on the cross once and for all so that we might have life with Him eternally. And we're going to rejoice together as we continue to sing and praise our great God. And I pray now that we would continue to live kingdom lives as Jesus wrote it out, as Jesus preached it, not as any of us talk about, but through His words. Heavenly Father, Jesus, thank You. Thank You for giving us some radical stuff. We can't do it on our own. and Boy, it, it goes against our, our fleshly tendencies and desires. But you're calling us, your disciples, your followers, to a higher standard. And we can only do it because of you and through you. Thank you for your grace. It is sufficient. Thank you for saving us. Lord, we need you every hour. We trust in you. We pray these things in your name.